going to read our scripture for today. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 16. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's the word of God. Good morning. It's good to see you all. You look very mellow. Speaking of mellow, what is that little white object that you put between graham crackers at a bonfire? What is that called? Marshmallow? Who else? Someone over here says, Malo, Marshmallow. How many pronounce it that way? Um, how is it spelled? <laughs> yeah, there's no E there. It's Marshmallow. Uh, but uh, by the way, I, the first service didn't get this, but uh, you know, <laughs> this is extra credit. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever said that, you know, you, you should come up here and preach. I like that, you know. I think it might be more interesting than my message. Um, the, the interesting thing, whether you call it interesting or not, uh, uh, the, the history of marshmallow is that uh, it was a medicinal thing that uh, it, it, you can actually look it up. It's this beautiful flower flowering plant that mostly grows in marshes uh, in Europe, but uh, particularly all the way back to the Nile, Egypt, and uh, the Egyptians developed into kind of a medicinal paste that was used for 2,000 years as a medicinal paste until someone in France said, what if we use this for uh, uh, pastries instead? and uh, went in the direction of sweetness and voila, marshmallow. Aren't you blessed? Uh, 
Hold on to that thought for just a moment. But first of all, I want to pray uh, our dear friend, uh, Dina Ray. Some of you will remember Dina. Um, she passed away this week uh, as a result of COVID. She uh, struggled with a very uh, rare form of arthritis from childhood that pushed, put her into a wheelchair her entire life. And uh, she was very much a part of this church. Part of our, She started, even when she was a student down at UCSD, she would come up to our previous campus and uh, loved her dearly like a daughter. At any rate, she went home to be with Jesus uh, after coming out of the hospital because of COVID, and two days later, she passed away. So I want to pray for her family, her father. She, her mother is already go, gone. Uh, and, uh, and then I just, out of sensitivity, and know that uh, many of you have lost loved ones or f know of friends. I know uh, I have had three pastors my age uh, die of COVID uh, during, and, and I know that some of you look at me and say, well, look at you. Um, you know, uh, you're just a walking comorbidity, you know. But, um, and, and by the way, just having recovered from COVID, uh, you know, just... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, myself, um, I, my, I, you know, I know we all have opinions about this whole thing and how it's been handled and should have, couldn't have, um, but of all of that, the one thing that Christians should be united in is, is caring for the sick. Um, that's always what Christians have done historically are the first to love, first to care, first to have mercy of. Not the, we, used, we seem to be the first to have an opinion. Uh, but that's not the uniqueness of a Christian. The uniqueness of a Christian is the first to love. So would you join me in prayer? Uh, Father, we do pray for Dina's family, her father, uh, her extended family and friends, uh, God, that you would be the God of comfort, uh, that you would wrap your arms around them, and the Jesus that Dina loved would be discovered by all those around Dina. Uh, God, uh, we thank you for her imprint on our own lives, for her joy, her laughter, her sense of humor. Um, God, it seems like we all die young. Uh, none of us were meant to die from the beginning of creation and so it's it's with great loss and now lord we pray for all those in our church who have uh, said goodbye to loved ones um, or might be struggling with disease would you comfort would you heal and then, Lord, as we go forward, would you uh, rid this land of this plague, and uh, would you um, particularly keep everyone safe here uh, and uh, get us through this thing? And we pray that while we're going through this, God, that we might learn what is truly important and the priorities that we make during this season would become the priorities of our life and that you would be numero uno of our priorities. And now, Lord, speak to us through your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 
Remember marshmallow? So uh, when people read the Beatitudes, as we just heard them read, um, I, my experience with the church for 50 years is people read the Beatitudes like you and I handle a marshmallow. It's kind of soft and it's squishy and it's sweet. And so we read the Beatitudes and we say, oh, such a nice thing for Jesus to say. Blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the. It should be in a Hallmark card, you know, these things. But I've never met a Christian that says, oh my gosh, that's radical. The Beatitudes are amazingly cutting edge, radical. Will I follow Jesus into blessed are the poor in spirit? But now here's what you need to know. That's what Jesus meant. So we're just going to look at three values today that should, could be in the church that are to be the culture of those who follow Jesus. Because the, the Beatitudes are to be looked at as the Jesus culture. And they're contrary to the religious culture of his day. And sadly, they're often contrary to the religious culture of our day. So Jesus is the CEO of the new Jesus movement that he's starting. And he lays out for his disciples, okay, this is your purpose. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You don't have the option. There is no plan B. You are it. And I'm sending you forth to be the salt and light to the world. And then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount never has the idea of proclamation in it. Proclamation being wah, 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 wah. It's all about life, what your life looks like. So Jesus was primarily thinking of our lives being so salty, so full of light that it affects those around us. And that's why he preludes it with the Beatitudes, that these are going to be the radical attributes of you. So as we look back at this passage again, um, let's just take a moment and think about what Ryan has already taught us. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, which means blessed are those who are broken, who have looked inside, put your hands in your pockets, and you pull out nothing. And you desperately, you're desperado for Jesus. You're blessed. Now, who walks around in society that way? Think of your last interview. Someone saying, so what do you have to offer? Nothing. I'm, uh, I'm desperate for Jesus. <laughs> you know, we, we would not do that. I don't recommend you do that at an interview, but... The interview extends. It extends into your first year of college. It extends into the neighborhood party. It extends into the business get-together where you're always putting your best foot forward. And the motto of society is, blessed are those who are rich in themselves. And that's the way the Pharisees lived. They woke up in the, amazing, in the morning, looked in the mirror and said, you're amazing. And they walked out the door looking very religious, thinking, you know, I am amazing. And sometimes you can go 
to a church that feels that way, that the usher who's greeting you is amazing. Now, I'm not saying that we walk around with our heads down, but he's saying it's okay if you're broken. The next thing that Ryan talked on was uh, mercy. The church, the religion of his day, and the church today often is the first to judge. Blessed are those who have an opinion about someone else. I'm telling you, my, my mom, when I brought her to church, um, it was a church that was just starting, and it was mostly hippies that were coming. And my mom, she would come home and talk to my dad about just how much she wanted to pull her scissors out of her purse and cut the guy's hair in front of her. And sometimes the guys who were barefoot would rest their crossed legs with their toes in the communion cup holes. And just drive my mom nuts. And then she would spend the rest of Sunday afternoon just wah, 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 wah. So blessed are those that have mercy on those that are poor in spirit. Because you need mercy. As opposed to blessed are those that judge. And then he talked on passion, that we want to be people that are not partially following Jesus, but just full-on following Jesus. So now we come to this priority or this value in Jesus' culture, which he calls pure in heart. In verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What is it to be pure in heart? It's an interesting idea. A lot of times I've heard Christians say, well, I'm pure in heart. I came to the cross. Jesus forgave me of my sins, and now I'm pure in heart. I don't feel very pure in heart. My friends don't think I'm pure in heart, but I'm forgiven, so therefore I'm pure in heart. He's not talking about the cross yet, okay? What does he mean? What did his followers hear when they heard pure in heart? They heard the real deal. In our culture, that's the way we would say it. Blessed is someone who's real, who's authentic, who is what you think they are. No show, no hype, particularly before God and before each other, because that's kind of what religion becomes. Uh, showy before God and then showy before each other in terms of how we pray, how we dress, how we look, how we, everyone, we want them to think of us a certain way, but if they really knew us, would they know us as the real deal? It's a good question, right? Jesus, when Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus, Jesus looked at him, he said, ah, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. No show, no games. He's the real deal. Now, we would all like to think that we are the real deal, right? That uh, we aren't those people. But um, that was actually something I struggled with when I was a teenager. Before I became a Christian, before I gave up on 
church, I, uh, I was maybe 14 to 16, I visited churches to see what was wrong with the church that my parents went to. And I thought, I decided that they were all worse than my parents' church. And so I just stopped going to church. But one of the th observations I made was that sometimes, I'll pick on pastors, sometimes the pastors became someone different in the pulpit than they were when they greet you at the door. I see some heads shaking. And what I mean by that is they would be very normal, uh, shake your hands, say, hey, how you doing? What about that football game? This. Then they climb up into the pulpit and their voice would drop an entire octave. And they would get this long, serious voice. And uh, even the way they pronounced their O's and the way they said God. And I just thought, what, what happens to them when they climb up there? But it, it wasn't just the pastor. It was some of the people that um, were handing out bulletins. I mean, you probably are guilty of it as well. You, you yell at your kids on the way here, shut up, any more word out of you, and you blah, 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 blah. we are going to God's house, get it together, and uh, you get them off to children's ministry, and you get out of the car, and, and one of our greeters greets you, says, Sam, how you doing? I said, glory to God. <laughs> Good to see you, Bill. <laughs> Praise God. The question would be, why do we do that? Why would we do that? It's some kind of show. C.S. Lewis apparently struggled with this because in his book, one of his first books, which is his journey uh, to faith, because you remember he was an atheist that came to faith, uh, he wrote a book called Pilgrim's Regress, a play off of Pilgrim's Progress, and it's an allegory. And, and he treats ministers in an interesting way. Uh, they're called stewards, and they put on these masks. And when they want to talk to you, they wear a mask, and they talk funny, and they do this thing. And then when they want to just have a chat with you, they take the mask off. So Jesus is saying, in my culture, you're going to follow me. We ain't doing that. It's what you see is what you get. You're pure in heart. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you've arrived. But it does mean there's no fig leaves and there's no games. There's no performances. And because otherwise, guess what it's called? Sheep's clothing. You're putting on the clothing to deceive people, to make them think you're a sheep, behaving like a sheep, acting like a sheep, when, uh, when we're not. There's a great story I also didn't share in the first service. And some of you have read this. Um, you can see where I do my heavy reading. It's a book called The Velveteen Rabbit. <laughs> so in The Velveteen Rabbit, The Velveteen Rabbit asked the skinned horse, what is real? One day in the nursery, lying side by side, uh, before Nana came in, 
to tidy up the room. Does it mean having things that go buzz inside or stick out handles? Or we might add a lot of likes on, on Facebook and friends that uh, like you. All these things that we think are important. The skin horse says, real isn't how you were made. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? Sometimes. But when you're real, you really don't mind. Does it happen all at once? Or bit by bit, it doesn't happen all at once. You become. And Jesus is inviting us. If this is really a community of love where we've discovered the grace of God, and there's no show, right? I already know you're a sinner. You already know I'm an idiot. <laughs> so no performances, just authentically loving Jesus. And that leads to the second value that we'll study this morning, which I call non-controlling relationships. Controlling relationships are often where we guilt other people. I'm guilty of doing this as a parent. Guilt and shame, put down, talk down, why don't you, you never, all of that is controlling language. But do we really want that in church? And sometimes this place right here, the pulpit, is the, is the most guilty. The idea that I, as some kind of puritanical pastor with a long, crooked finger, <laughs> when are you going to listen? <laughs> How long? But even the word, you. Why would I use you instead of we? <laughs> because I'm a sinner saved by grace just like you are. So could it be that Jesus wants a non-controlling environment where we follow Jesus not because we should or ought or that someone's going to uh, find us out, but because we really want to. So listen, listen to these verses. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1, do not judge, or you too will be judged. Judging others is a controlling relationship where I feel the need to point out everybody who's different than me. But I want you to especially look at a passage where I've tied these two verses together. Most people don't, but it's obvious we should. Um, there's that word should again. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, what is he talking about? Most modern believers read this as the anti-stress verse. Like after you've had a wicked hard day, you come home and read this verse. Ah, come to Jesus. 
Uh, maybe Jesus and the hot tub. <laughs> Come to Jesus and just relax. It's 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 stressful world out there, but I'm not going to lay anything on you. It has nothing to do with stress. It's a verse about the religious climate of Jesus' day. Jesus talks about in Matthew 23 where these religious leaders were heaping huge burdens on their people. He says, you go out uh, hill and dell to make a convert. And once you make a convert, you make him twice the son of hell as yourself. Why do you heap these loads on people? So Jesus, in the context of Matthew, is saying, come to me. I'm not that guy. I'm not going to give you yada, yada, you should, you ought, why didn't you? It's going to be adult to adult where I offer you truth. And the truth will set you free and you out of your own volition get to choose the truth. And I believe that's the way church ought to be. Where I don't perform for the pastor, I get the word of God, I get the truth, and I get to decide... Am I going to believe it and do it, or am I not? Adult to adult relations. In the garden, God seems to be comfortable with that kind of freedom where he gives some guidance to the first couple. He says, stay away from this tree. But we're almost... We wish God didn't give them that kind of freedom. Here's the truth. You will surely die. Stay away from it. Here's the truth. But you decide. Wow. And I think that's when true conversion, true transformation is happening in me, when I'm not performing for someone else, but I'm actually, as an adult, picking that truth for myself. There's a great book. Um, uh, it, I struggled with it. It was one of Lewis's last books called Till We Have Faces, and he thought it was his best work, and I read it twice as a young man, and I couldn't figure it out and threw the book down and like, whatever, I don't get it, and uh, one day... In my, I was almost 40, I was awakened in the night and with the idea I was supposed to read the book. That doesn't happen to me. It happened only once in my life. And I got up at 2 a.m., read it till 6 or 7 in the morning. And I was undone. Because the protagonist in the story thinks she's doing everything for everybody else out of love, and isn't she amazing, isn't she wonderful? And she ends up that she's done it to control everybody else. And I felt like God just put his finger on my chest and say, you can't do that. And so I'm a great protector now of you, <laughs> that I'm not your controller, I'm not your parent. Uh, I'm a fellow Christian on this journey who teaches the truth. And we ought to, to have our children experience the same thing in our children's ministry. And I've even mentioned to our staff that we maybe should not use the word you very much. 
second person plural. You. But rather, we. It's the one French I know. We, we. <laughs> you and me. And then the third value Jesus touches on here in the Beatitudes is blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Oh, that we need peacemakers today. There was a great article in the New York Times this morning that someone uh, sent me uh, by David Brooks. You might have read one or two of his works. He's a, uh, a columnist for the New York Times. Uh, and a uh, New York Jewish writer who years ago started on his journey and actually became a believer in Jesus. In the article, he's talking about the very value we're talking about, which is unity. That this is probably, the last five years has been the most disunited uh, period of time in evangelical Christianity that I have known in my entire 50 years of pastoring, uh, where people are divided over uh, politics, they're divided over race, they're divided over mandates, they're divided over max vaccines and masks, they're divided everything imaginable. We are divided, and we feel the call as Christians to wipe the dust off our feet and go find some other Christians that think just like I do. And I'm saying it's a sad portrayal of the church. The whole point of unity is that there would be differences. And that's what makes unity profound. Unity is, if you tell me I am Mark... I loved your message. I am fully united with myself. <laughs> that, that totally takes the wind out of the word unity. Unity implies that you would be friends and love, share a relationship with people that have a different opinion than you. That would be profound. So he actually calls us to be peacemakers. That we would be the people that when people disagree with us, that we would reach out and love them. And when we find two people that used to be friends, that we would be attempting to bring these two friends to back together again. So 100 years ago and 200 years ago, people named their churches after their differences. You've never thought about it before, but think of it. First Baptist Church of Carlsbad. Oh, right. That's a unique way to distinguish yourself, how you baptize. First Presbyterian Church. Oh, okay, you're actually talking about government and church policy, that we are not a democracy here. We are an eldership. And so that's why you can know whether to come here or not. You're looking for that. But now the people that go to those churches, they don't give a rip. <laughs> Do they? Well, I chose this church because of the way they baptize. <laughs> you know, it's just, I like the pastor, or it was a 
building that was... But I asked myself, what would it be for today if a new church starts out? The first anti-vaccine church <laughs> of Carlsbad. <laughs> or the first pro-vaccine. The first anti-mandate, you know. And now the question is, can they, can they worship Jesus? No way. We cannot worship together because they like the vaccine and we don't like the vaccine. So it's good to laugh at ourselves, isn't it? But you see, once we've studied something and we've listened to two podcasts that make us an authority... Now I have an opinion, and I don't know what to do with my opinion, and once I find someone else who has not listened to the same podcast, because they listen to two other podcasts, then we, we have a division here, we have, and we don't know what to do. So we do what they did in the Alamo, we divide. We, we hide away in our castle, and we shoot at anything that moves, because they're different than me. But what if... The whole point of unity was to worship with people that will forever, maybe, disagree with you. Is that possible? For some of you, it would be like worshiping with your mother-in-law for the rest of your life. Would you do it? Sorry, mothers. That, that's just... I'm just trying to get under everybody's skin because some people are looking at me like, I don't know what he's talking about. I, I'm just trying to get to everybody and bother everybody. Could I worship with someone who's different? And Jesus, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't get the option. You and I do not get the option. Unity and love are a doctrine. They're not an elective. God is love. He crossed the infinite gap for you to reunite you with him. You were different. And I know, but you're special, and you could see why God would do that. But nevertheless... That's what makes us radical. So Jesus, in John 17, prays a prayer. It's a high priestly prayer right before the cross. Father, I pray that you make them one as you and I are one. I and you and you and me, that they might be in me and that we would be one. I used to read that prayer and say, you know what? No one gets their prayer answered all the time, even Jesus God hasn't answered that prayer for 2,000 years. But maybe he is answering that prayer. Every time you and I cross the barrier and say, you know what, we are very different. We have different histories. We have different skin colors. We have different philosophies of how we got here. and We have different voting habits. We, have, we see the world differently. But could it be that all of those are small bees compared to the big B of what we believe in Jesus. Let's worship together. Let's love each other. Let's walk together. 
yeah, we might see how these all work themselves out, but it, it, it isn't what we have to figure out to get to the subject of unity. Which means we love and we pray. We become peacemakers. I met a, gal, a guy yesterday, you, and this is what happens to me. I'm Mr. Magoo. I go for a walk. I ask God to speak to me, and he literally does. So I'm walking along the beach with Jan, and this board, surfboard, comes washing up onto the shore. And, you know, as a surfer, I know what just happened. Someone's surfing without a leash because the waves are small and no big deal. Those of you that know Cardiff San Alejo Campground, it was somewhere around Turtles, just south of Barney's in almost to 85s. And um, <laughs> so board comes washing up. It's a long board. And I'm thinking, ooh, really nice board. But uh, there's, there's cobblestones on the beach. And I'm thinking, this, this thing's going to get dinged up. So I walk down, pick up the board, and push it, put it up on the dry sand where it's not going to get dinged. And the guy comes out of the water, and he says, well, how about that? Mark Foreman rescues my board. <laughs> and uh, it used to be people were offended when I didn't remember my, their name, but now they just look at me and they have compassion on me because they think <laughs> old men don't remember names. And so his name was Brad, and uh, he says, you know what, I go to a different church now, but... Uh, I remember a story that I heard from one of your missional partners. He says, I think he was from Lebanon. It really rocked my world, and it reset my Christianity. I said, wow, what was the story? He says, well, it was a story about a Muslim kid who hated this Christian kid. And he waited for the opportunity, and it came where the Muslim kid beat up the Christian kid out in the woods and left him there to hopefully die. And his life went on. Years later, this Muslim kid becomes a follower of Jesus. He attends this church and he sees this guy up on the front row in a wheelchair and he goes up after the church service to say hello and to introduce himself. And the guy in the wheelchair seems to know him and opens his Bible. And there in the front page of his Bible is a Muslim kid's name. And he has prayed for that kid every day, loving his enemy, loving his enemy praying for him, and obviously it worked because he ends up becoming a believer in Jesus. So here's just the what if. Here's application 101. What if, think of all the people uh, you disagree with. You know, that, that, they, that the country would be better off if a big tsunami just washed them out to sea.
Or maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's someone at work. What if, rather than dividing, and certainly rather than hating, and by the way, I've never met a Christian who ever said he hated. They just dislike people intensely. <laughs> I don't hate, I don't hate, I just, I just don't like them. Whatever. Um, ling linguistics. What if you wrote their name down in your Bible, in the notes on your phone, and you prayed for them every day? So I have been wounded during COVID. As a pastor, I've been accused of things that weren't true, of what I believe about everything under the sun. And yeah, it hurt. Especially when people go away and gossip and say, you know, Mark really big, believes in mandates or Mark doesn't believe in mandates, whatever they've said. Um, and I don't get the chance to defend myself. <laughs> it's just these kangaroo courts that happen in society. But the people that I do know, how I got free was to begin to pray for them. Not get them, God. <laughs> but God bless them. Really, really bless them. Bless their family. God, I want the best for them. I want them to thrive in following you. And then just see what God does. So three values for you to think about. So God wants you to become real. Uh, Lewis says, you can't have a face-to-face -face conversation until you have a face. And God is waiting for your real face, not your fake face. So be real. Secondly, there's no need to control anybody else. There already is a judge, position occupied. So you're free to not try to control people. And then thirdly, that we become the extraordinary peacemakers that exhibit the love of Jesus to this world. Amen. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you that you are radical. And Jesus, when you came, these marshmallow beatitudes are so radical. And yes, Lord, now that we know what they say, we still sign up to follow you and to say yes to you. Forgive us for play acting. Forgive us for controlling others and judging others. And forgive us for not loving and being peacemakers. God, we want to enter into this, that pocket of blessed to live in your blessing with these radical virtues that you offer to us in Jesus name let's sing together <clears throat>